The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. Lectures on the Politics of God and the Politics of Man Lecture 13 Challenging Goliath There are many things that the individual Christian and the Christian family can do in their lives to bear witness to the Christian faith by the way they live, showing thereby the nature of the antithesis that exists between the life of faith in Christ and the way the world lives. In our personal conduct, in our conversation, in the ethical principles to which we bear witness in our dealings with others, in the way we behave as single and married people, in contrast to the pervasive immorality of the secular world, in the way we raise and educate our children. In all these areas and more, the individual and the Christian family should set an example to non-believers that challenges the received wisdom of the world. But there are limits to what the witness of the individual believer and isolated Christian families committed to the practice of the Christian way of life can achieve. If the world is truly to be turned upside down by the Christian faith, that is to say, if our culture as a whole is to be changed for the better and conformed to the will of Christ as revealed in Scripture, and if our nation is once again to imbibe a Christian worldview that will replace the secular humanist worldview that now dominates our society, the Church, as the body of Christ, the household of God, must start living as a community of faith that impacts on the whole life of the nation and not only by challenging the dominant secular culture, but also by offering, through its corporate life of faith, a realistic alternative to secular humanism's culture of death, namely, a comprehensive culture of life in Christ, a Christian society. Although individual Christians and families can certainly achieve much by working out their faith practically in their lives, the nation as a whole will not be discipled to Christ until the church, that is to say the body of Christ as a whole, starts taking her cultural mission seriously again. I am not speaking here about the institutional church alone, much less about denominations. Rather, I am speaking about the church as an organism, the body of Christ on earth, a living community of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of his spirit, working through his word to transform not only individual lives but whole cultures. Such transformation requires Christians to act together in bringing the gospel to bear upon the life of the nation by creating a counter-revolutionary prophetic social order that models to the world what true society should be, thereby displacing and ultimately replacing the godless social order of secular humanism with a Christian social order. For example... Some general medical practices now offer counselling to patients as part of their care. 
They have begun to recognise that human beings are more than a complex of biological processes and that their psychological and spiritual condition affects their physical health. The answer to many ailments, therefore, may not be merely a drug, but treatment of the patient's thought life and behaviour also. The problem is that the philosophical basis from which this counselling is offered is not Christian. It assumes a non-Christian model of the human being. But what if Christian general medical practitioners, GPs, were to offer medical services on the basis of a Christian model of man as a being made in the image of God and who therefore can only re be restored to full health, spiritual and psychological as well as physical, when he is restored to fellowship with God in Christ? What if, instead of secular humanist counselling, people went to Christian GPs and were offered Christian counselling? Would not this be a very effective means of applying the gospel practically? This is not a novel idea by any means. In fact, it is the abandonment of such an idea that is novel. The Church, throughout history, has seen the provision of medical care as one of her primary mission fields, but she does so no longer, except perhaps in terms of overseas missions to third world nations. Yet in previous centuries the Church has not seen this important area of mission in such narrow terms. Our hospitals and medical services had their origins in the mission of the Church, and the development of these institutions was the achievement of a Christian culture in which believers recognised this area of work as an important part of the Church's broader cultural mission. Now that the secular state has hijacked so many of these institutions, the Church has largely abandoned medical provision as a legitimate mission field. The same has happened with education, which the modern Church has largely abandoned as a mission field. At the very least, given the radically secular and neo-pagan nature of modern British society, the whole area of medical and health services should again be seen as an important mission field for the Church. Part of the Church's calling is to show people that they must look to God for their healing and welfare, because in truth he is the author of both. Instead, the message of the Church in effect has been, get your health fire insurance from the Church, but your health care and welfare comes from the godless secular state, and should be funded by taxes. It is not our mission any longer. Whether Christians have meant this, or even wanted it, is irrelevant. It is the message that the world has heard as a result of the social theory that the Church, on the whole, adopted and promoted in the 20th century. It is time the Church was cured of this myopia. She is called by God to lead the world to salvation, not follow the latest fads of the world. The word salvation comes from the Latin verb salvio, meaning to be well, in good health, and while not limited to this meaning, the biblical concept of salvation certainly includes this idea. Of course, it would be very difficult in the present circumstances to establish such medical practices within the National Health Service, the NHS. This makes the job much more difficult, but not impossible. It would probably be impossible, however, for one or two or even a small group of medical doctors to do this on their own without the backing and backup of at least the local church. 
And such a project would probably necessitate a more regional initiative and backing from the churches to be effective from a legal and political point of view, because the modern British political establishment is not sympathetic to such initiatives. Pressure would need to be applied at the national and local levels to the political bureaucracy that increasingly runs our lives. But this is not all that would be needed. Such initiatives would require Christians to get involved and churches to back up the practice at the patient side of the programme. Without such a programme being part of the National Health Service, this would involve a great deal of financial sacrifice as well. But why, it may be asked, should the church pay out money, that is to say, why should Christians use their tithes, for such initiatives when we already have a tax-funded health service? Because in the present situation, our society is as much a mission field, with a population as much in the grip of idolatry, as many of the third world nations where such services are considered a legitimate use of church funds. The church has always committed herself to such programmes in past centuries because the church has an important secondary role in the provision of welfare and education. And the results of such missions were effective and far-reaching because the church's secondary role in the provision of welfare and education takes on a much greater importance in the context of her mission. The modern NHS is not a Christian institution and we desperately need a Christian alternative to the philosophy and practice of healthcare in our society if this area is to be redeemed and conquered for Christ. We need to provide an alternative that will eventually grow and supplant the godless NHS system that we are currently dependent upon. We are called as a church, a Christian community, to transform our nation. And this is one important part of that calling because we are called to preach the gospel and heal the sick. See Matthew chapter 10 verses 7 to 8, Luke chapter 9 verse 2, chapter 10 verse 19 and Mark chapter 3 verses 14 to 15. Without the church as a whole being involved in such initiatives, very little can be accomplished because the system we are up against is massive and well organised. The church, that is to say the whole community of Christians, including but not limited to the institutional church, needs to act together in order to provide the financial, organisational, moral and social momentum necessary to get such projects started and keep them running. It is the failure of the Western Church as a whole not only to act in this way, but to even think in these broad terms that has hamstrung her witness to the world and continues to make her irrelevant to the lives of most people in the modern world. People do not look to God for the necessities of life. They look to secular humanism's chief idol, the secular state. And the church is no longer a prophetic voice to the nation, no longer rebukes the nation for its idolatry, no longer teaches the people to look to God for these things. Indeed, the church on the whole condones this idolatry. But it was not always this way. In fact, it has not usually been this way. It is the modern attitudes and practices of the church, or rather lack of practices, that are unorthodox, not those of the church of previous centuries, against which the modern church appears as such an antithesis and in such sympathy with the wisdom of this world. Most hospitals in Britain were not set up by secular humanists, not even by the National Health Service when it came into existence, 
but were established prior to the creation of the state-run NHS by churches and Christian charities that saw these institutions as the necessary fruit of a Christian way of life. They were the product of a Christian worldview and a Christian civilization. The same is largely true of the educational system. Both were created by a Christian society, by Christians and churches working out their faith in a socially relevant and meaningful way. This was how the faith of the church affected the nation. As soon as the state took over these institutions, the process of secularization began. That is to say, these Christian institutions were slowly but systematically stripped of the Christian principles upon which they were established and that guided their work for so long. This process of secularization is now almost complete. The ability of the church, of Christians acting corporately, to transform the society of which they are a part is not a matter of mere theorising. It actually happened. It created a Christian nation, not a perfect nation by any means, but a Christian nation nonetheless. This shows that what we face is not an impossible task. Society can be changed. It has been done before by Christians taking their cultural mission seriously. And it can be done again. But only if the body of Christ, the church as an organism, neither limited to nor excluding the institutional church, acts with vision, conviction and determination and is prepared to make the sacrifices that such a mission necessitates by living as a true social order. God will bless all such efforts in ways beyond our imagination. But the church must first overcome the deadening apathy that presently afflicts her and prepare herself for the sacrifices that such a transformation of our society will require. God does not call us to an impossible task. He calls us to overcome the world by our faith. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 this is not a mystical or purely spiritual victory. It is a practical triumph over evil in this present age as well as in the next. God calls us to work for this victory over the world now across the whole spectrum of life and he calls us not only as individuals and families but as his body on earth, the church, a community of faith that lives as a community of faith, as a true social order and by doing so will transform society. The church of previous ages did this with remarkable success. On the social role of the church in the late classical period, for example, Christopher Dawson writes that, and I quote, Every church had its matriculum, or list of persons in receipt of regular relief, and enormous sums were spent in every kind of charitable work. All over the empire, hospitals, orphanages, and hostels for travellers were being built and endowed, so that the basilica was often a centre of a whole quarter which lived by and for the church. Thus the church stands out in the Dark Age as the one hope of humanity, both spiritual and material. It saved the individual from being entirely crushed under the pressure of the servile state, and it opened to him a new world of social and spiritual activity in which the free personality had room to develop itself. Unquote. Today, the situation has been reversed. The world has overcome the church and her courage to resist seems to have all but evaporated. 
The church is a conquered and occupied nation, occupied quite literally in many of our churches, which are governed by clergymen who have no sympathy for the faith once received and have cast away all pretense of faithfulness to God's word, the Bible, which is treated with indifference, even contempt, by so many of our bishops, denominational leaders and pastors. For example, according to Richard Holloway, who was the Anglican Bishop of Edinburgh from 1986 to 2000, and I quote, God is dead. Even the confident religions know this. So what are we to do, those of us who know that God is dead? The first thing is to celebrate the fact that we have been delivered from idols and are now on our own. In spite of our ancient and dangerous longing for them, we should accept that there are no absolutes. The only thing we can be certain of is that there is no certainty. Committed to being uncommitted, we should relish the irony of our position. Unquote. This is by no means an unusual attitude among theologians and the clergymen today. It is time the church cast out these hirelings and did her previous works. The Lord Jesus Christ has called us to call all men and nations to repentance and he has commissioned us to disciple the nations. This can only be achieved by the church, the body of Christ, the Christian community working together as an alternative society, a social order that will eventually transform the whole nation, replacing the secular humanist culture that presently dominates our lives with a truly Christian culture. For this to happen, we must do those things that will practically realise the kingdom of God in our society. Prayer is not enough. God calls us to action. Prayer without action is merely an excuse for laziness. God will not listen to such prayer. He requires us to do his will. We are not to be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. Those who are hearers of the word only, the Bible tells us, are deluded. James chapter 1 verse 22. Prayer without action is useless to the world and moreover disobedience to God. Do not be deluded. God will not listen to such prayer. He will turn his face away from it. Is not this just what has happened in Britain? Oh yes, people are converted. God will always save his elect. But the nation will decline further, as indeed it is doing. And this will continue until the church once again starts fulfilling her calling to transform the nation by doing the works to which God has called her. See Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. In order for this transformation to take place, the church must act as a community of faith. That is to say, Christians must act together in every way that they can to create a Christian social order that will, by God's grace, overcome the world once again. This will mean that church leaders and clergymen will have to set aside their petty rivalries and power politics and start thinking and acting in terms of the kingdom of God instead of being absorbed with their own ecclesiastical principalities. It will mean that they will have to start teaching the meaning of the kingdom of God not as their own sect, called to retreat from the world, but as the historical work of God in redeeming the world, a cause to which they are called to dedicate their lives. It will mean that members of churches must start taking up their cross and making the sacrifices that this work requires, 
rather than insisting that they be pandered to with sentimental entertainment worship and self-indulgent ministry. There is much that the individual and the family can do and must do, of course. But until the church as a whole starts living in a new way, in a way that demonstrates the power of the kingdom of God to the world around her, as a community of faith poised to transform society in all its aspects and institutions, her decline will continue and she will have nothing to look forward to but another 40 years in the wilderness. There is an alternative to this miserable scenario, but the church must cast out her idols and act with vision and determination in terms of the word of God. The church must stop running away from Goliath and start picking her stones carefully. End of lecture 13 Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.